0: Welcome to this Word on Wednesday podcast for July 7. My name is John Mason. It's great you could join us. Everyone loves a story. Stories grab our attention and draw us in. Some stories don't satisfy us. That's because there's no conclusion or injustice and evil succeed. Great epics such as Tolkien's Lord of the Rings stir our imagination and touch our inner longings for a better world. We don't want epics like this to end. We become involved with the characters and the plot. But they do end, and we have to come back to earth. Significantly, in a world that is crying out for identity, there's a very real interest in the story of family forebears, or culture. The Bible has been described as the greatest story ever told but it is an epic with a difference, for it's set in the context of real events. Consider the opening lines of the letter to the Ephesians. In one long sentence from verse 3 through 14, we glimpse God's awe-inspiring epic, His plan and purpose to draw us into it. The themes of God's love and grace are palpable. God is the subject of almost every main verb, For example, it is He who has blessed us. He has freely bestowed upon us His grace. He has made known His will and purpose, which He set forth in Christ, to unite all things. He accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. The God of the Bible is a big, life-giving, warm-hearted, loving God, so different from the cold, impersonal force of Star Wars and the ruthless rule of human dictatorships. In verses 5 through 8, we learn what that love cost God. He destined us for adoption as His children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace that He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. In Him, that is, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespass, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. In our Western world today, there's a complex mix of victimhood that says others are at fault while I'm okay. Any sense of personal failure is rejected, as is also the need to forgive. The truth is, that in turning away from our Creator God and our need for His forgiveness, we also fail one another. King David, when confronted with his adultery with Bathsheba and with Uriah's murder, wrote in his prayer of confession, Psalm 51, Against you only, Lord, have I sinned. David understood that his real guilt lay in breaking the first commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Our real failure is in not loving God. And because God requires that all His just requirements are met, the supreme sentence is to be carried out on all who have failed the test. That said, God has offered and provided a way forward. Someone who is without sin, could stand in our place. that only Jesus Christ, God's Son, could do this for us. It is because God's nature is to love and to give life that He pursued the costly path required. As we read in John chapter 3 and verse 16, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have life everlasting. Tragically, many churches have not grasped the real significance of this. They insist that Christianity is about love, loving your neighbor, caring about the injustices of the world. But they don't have a vocabulary of the love for God. They don't have a ministry or a liturgy that calls for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins by God. God's plan is to build a vibrant new community of forgiven people. Eleven times we read the phrase, In Christ, or in Him. And in verses 9 and 10, we learn that God's ultimate plan is to bring everything and everyone under the perfect rule of Jesus Christ. Where is the assurance of this? The letter goes on, Having believed, you are marked in Him that is, in Christ, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. The New Testament reveals that the Spirit is a person, having His own identity. On the night Jesus was arrested, He told His disciples He would not leave them bereft. He would send them a comforter, who, as we learn from John chapter 16, is another person in the Godhead. God seals us as His own by putting His Spirit within us. Long before, He had promised His people that He would personally live with them, as we read, for example, in the prophet Jeremiah chapter 31. The letter to the Ephesians tells us that the presence of God's Spirit in our lives is a down payment on our future inheritance. What should my answer be when one day I am asked why I should be given entrance into God's presence? I will ask that the register of names, the book of life, be checked. And when that great register is opened, the presence of the Holy Spirit within me assures me that my name will be found there, listed as an adopted son of the Father, signed in by Jesus Christ, embossed with the great seal of the Holy Spirit of God. It's with humble, heartfelt thankfulness for the humility of our great and wonderful, all-glorious and loving God that I look forward to that day with joy because He has honoured me with a part in His epic story. So let me pray. Eternal God and Father, by whose power we are created, and by whose love we are redeemed. Guide and strengthen us by your Spirit, so that we may give ourselves to your service, and live this day in love for one another, and to you. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen.
1: The power and the glory are yours now and forever.
0: Amen. A prayer for this week. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us a true faith. Nourish us with all goodness. And so by your mercy keep us.
1: People involved in today's podcast are John Mason speaker and writer and
0: Catherine Jacob, a minister for women's ministry at the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Birmingham, Alabama. The concluding music is from the cathedral. Prayers are drawn from an Australian prayer book 1978. The opening music is from St Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney and the hymn, My Song is Love Unknown, is sung by the Chamber Choir of the cathedral under the direction of Ross Cobb. Please
1: let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. We'd love to hear from you.